Hello, and welcome to Eagle Alpha's Profiting from Data podcast. Once a quarter, Eagle Alpha's Director of Data Strategy and Analytics, Ronan Crossan, is joined by Peter Green and Ben Cousin from New York law firm Lowenstein Sandler. These conversations are part of Eagle Alpha's client-only monthly legal workshops. In this episode, Peter and Ben discuss developments surrounding alternative data from the past three months. Apple's controversial iOS 14.5 update has been central to many alt data discussions over the last year. They also discuss SEC examinations for alt data regulation and provide alt data insights based on the questions the Lowenstein Sandler team are facing. Please join this dialogue between Peter Green, Ben Cousin, and your host, Ronan Crossan. So this is our quarterly check-in where we focus on everything topical and what you guys have seen on the ground. I, I was telling Ben earlier, Peter, that this is the session that I love and fear in equal measures because it's completely unscripted. We can go off piece, but maybe to open it would be really interesting to see what, you know, what, what has been the focus since we last spoke in, in March. You know, what are the burning questions you're facing and what's happening what's on the ground? So I thought there were a couple of things we could talk about um, that Ben and I discussed a bit beforehand. And then also just sort of the volume of requests we're seeing. But I think it, it's relevant to talk about the new Apple iOS that we all see on our phones when we go to an app for the first time since the 14.5 iOS update that asks if we want to be tracked. So I think it's important to talk about that, what we think it means. That's part one. Part two is what we're seeing on exams, which is not really anything different, right? We don't feel like the staff is sort of made that next move beyond just starting to ask about data. It's not clear what they're doing with it. So Ben and I maybe can speculate a little bit about that. And then Ben, I also thought we could just talk about volume, right? Obviously not naming specific clients, but just what we're seeing in terms of data usage amongst our clients, whether they manage $500 million, $5 billion or $40 billion. And then certainly anything else anyone wants to discuss. Does that sound good, Ronan? Yeah, that sounds great. And, and to Peter's point, I'd encourage attendees to submit any questions you might have on anything that's in front of mind or anything that we discuss. Feel free to submit questions. But that all sounds great. Peter. And maybe um, if we've time, we might look back on the last few workshops because we had some really interesting speakers over the last couple of months. Excellent. So why don't we start with 14.5? So Apple, which as Ben and I have talked about before, really from a PR standpoint, does a lot on privacy. We all see in the US these ad campaigns around Apple cares about your privacy and they now have that sort of little new logo with the lock above the Apple before it disappears to show that what's on Apple is locked. And Facebook certainly is on the other side of that coin. They profess to care about privacy, but it seems at least the critics will say that they don't care about it nearly as much as Apple. So Apple has come out with a new update and that new update allows you forces you actually, every time you access an app on your phone for the first time since the update to say, do you want to be tracked or not? You always had the ability buried in Apple after a few clicks and going to settings and a few places to actually say, I don't want to be tracked. But this makes it easier to say, I don't want to be tracked. And in fact, it forces you to do it. And Ben and I have been saying for quite some time that we think U.S. privacy federal privacy legislation ultimately do will is move these sort of, I want to be tracked, I don't want to be tracked up into big red letters and mandate that. Well, Apple's now done that. So it's a good model. And I wouldn't be surprised if we ultimately see everybody follow Apple's model, which is the very first time you use an app, you let the app provider know whether you agree to be tracked or whether you do not want to be tracked. 
Yeah. And so that's a pretty big change. It's actually an enormous change. We'll see if it takes hold elsewhere, but Apple certainly is an enormous part of the market share here. So just the fact that Apple's doing it is important. And what it then means for us is one, that's better. Certainly from a developer agreement standpoint, it's clearer now whether you want to be tracked or not be tracked. And so your consent is, I think now, very hard to argue with, not meaningful. Very fair to say that now, if you click on, I'm okay to be tracked, when it pops up in the middle of your screen in big letters and it's only one question that's being asked, I think that's meaningful consent. Now, maybe there'll be litigation, maybe the government will argue it's not, but I think that's a weak argument. It's meaningful consent. So then the question will become, and then I'm going to pause and let Ben jump in and add his thoughts on top of all this. Then the question will become is, well, what does that do to the quality, really volume is the question, of data? Is it still going to be valuable to buy app any data or similar or sensor tower data if after iOS 14.5 is implemented? That is, how many people, bluntly, how many people are going to say, I don't want to be tracked? Are we going to lose 10% or are we going to lose 80% of certain data sets? And it's way too early to tell. This came into being April 30th or April 26th. So it's, it's just way too early to tell what it's going to do. And I haven't heard anything from clients and Ben will say whether he has, but we'll know six months from now, maybe even sooner, whether clients start to either buy fewer data sets that are app tracking or just want to pay less because they think they are less useful. We've been following this topic as well quite closely. And I know ahead of the fact there was speculation that you could up to two thirds of people could opt out and certainly some headlines we've seen have suggested that it's even higher than that in terms of opt out rate but it's actually something not to become too pitchy it's something we're actually we're writing a paper on at the moment we'll be publishing in the next couple of weeks and we're reaching out to to get some hard data on this because it is really topical so it's interesting that you're seeing it it's it's front of mind in the conversations you're having as well peter yeah for sure i mean this is super important and it's super important because we've been talking about for so long, is something like this going to happen? We thought maybe it'd be mandated by the government once the federal government addresses this, once they get around to it. But Apple's doing it. I would just add, you know, look, it's definitely also imposing pressure on Google and their platform. Yeah. I mean, we have seen explicit change in, in not necessarily particular to exactly what Apple's doing their app tracking, but changes around the Google Play Store policies for developers about what they can do with their data that they collect based on their app usage. And it is skewing more towards like, look, you're really only supposed to be using this to enhance your app and, mm. and help with your advertising needs. The issue, of course, between Facebook and Google is, you know, their whole model is, is premised on targeted advertising. And so there's a lot of tension right now, as the press has, you know, reported between Facebook, Instagram, and, and Apple, for example, because those apps and companies are saying, look, we help the small business owners get their ads out to, to the right audience. And if you don't allow us to track it, that's going to hurt you know, the business owners. And of course, the counterpoint to that is that's not really app true. You're just limiting the amount of actual advertising dollars you can generate if you can't actually target the ads. So the way you want it, people are going to pay less for the ads, which means you have less revenue, Google, Facebook, and their subsidiaries. So I think it's one of these situations that's continuing to evolve. I think what's happening in the market is what Peter and I speculated would happen, which is the government may ultimately intervene on this, but consumers and the desire for privacy is driving a lot of change ahead of government regulation. And so that's yeah. the key takeaway rather than the government hasn't needed to come in and mandate it. I think probably there's maybe a bit of a wait and see approach 
as more companies view privacy as something to market and something to highlight as a reason to utilize their products over another potential provider. Mm, yeah, I recall it probably 12 months ago, we did a session specifically discussing app data and app tracking. And at the time, Ben, I think you highlighted that the developer uh, licenses or the, the terms and conditions are, are somewhat opaque. But to Peter's point, the plus side of this is that it's pretty black and white now because it's explicit opt-in that the data that's collected, you can be pretty comfortable on the data provenance of that data. Yeah, totally. yeah look, I think this is great. Yeah, it's a good thing. Overall, a good thing. There's still so many, I don't know how many, billions of smartphone users in the world. So I'm not sure that the utility diminishes that much for people that were, you know, using the app data, you know, because I think a lot of people do still like, including me personally, like the targeted ads over just ads that don't make any sense or yep. don't, are not things I'm interested in. And a lot of people, there's still enough, I think, critical mass that say, I don't really care. I'm not, I'm not doing anything inappropriate. I don't care if apps track me. I find value to the targeted ads or things I'm interested in. That's right. Ben raises a good point, which is, remember the purpose of this. The purpose is, do you want targeted ads or not want targeted ads? And Ben's right. A lot of people want targeted ads when they're playing around on their phone and they're shopping for something. They want to see the ad the next day, the day after, the day after, the day after. And so, look, we're just speculating, but a lot of people may say, it's fine. I'm good with this. And that is a good development. The industry should be happy about that because then that gives certainty to meaningful consent. And then we can get away from this, Ben, sort of this nonsense that, for lack of a better word, that we've looked at all these years. Well, the developer agreement says you can only use the data in order to improve the operational efficiency performance of the site and or for advertising. Yeah. It's a wider discussion around opt-in panels. It's not just within app data. And to your point, Peter, what Apple have done here is moved ahead of potential regulation and could become a template. I guess for the alternative data industry more broadly, you'd say this is a positive trend. You know, if all panels start moving to opt-in, assuming you can still get the critical mass of people who do decide to opt-in, then that's a good thing. You're getting clarity on the data provenance. Yes. It's yeah. just two critical questions post 14.5 are one, what will others, Ben's right, what will Google do? And what will the government do, federal government in the U.S.? And two, you're running in a better position to answer this really than we are. You can't answer it yet. Is what's it going to do? How many people are going to say, I want out? And what's that going to do to the utility of the data sets our clients are buying? This on balance is a really good development because it gives us a little bit more certainty as to Apple. But Ben's right. We now need to see what this is going to mean for Google. Hmm. Hmm. And I guess if this is more onus on the data vendors or the data company to demonstrate value to the consumer in order to collect that data. So it's fine. So in, in the example of app data, yes, I might opt in because I want more targeted ads rather than relevant ads. But as we look across other categories, you know, whether it's consumer transaction data or other categories, the data vendor, whoever's collecting that data needs to demonstrate value to the consumer if they're going to opt in to share their data. And so I guess it really will depend by category what we might see in terms of opt-in rates, just depending what value the consumer sees in That's opting right. in. That's right. Yeah. And there's going to be more pressure. I mean, this is not a legal point. There's going to be more pressure to provide that value, Ronan, if you are opting in, right? Because if people start to see not, if the value is diminishing over time, then people will eventually just figure out how to opt out and say, this is getting annoying. This is not what I signed up for. But again, I think we're still in early innings. 
And I think the most of the world at this point is accustomed to targeted ads, but that's just one person's opinion. Yeah, but the legal perspective is this is good. That's, yes, uh, very good. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, the we next thing I wanted here. to talk about was, heard this, had a conversation running with you about this recently on exams. So, Ben, it feels like we sort of haven't made the leap from, hey, the SEC is starting to explore, bad word, explore how the buy side is using data, asking more questions, wanting to see your files on each data vendor, wanting to understand your compliance policies and procedures, which we, of course, have gone over from a best practice perspective, ad nauseum on these calls. We don't need to do that today. But it sounds like, Ben, we haven't seen, I'll throw it to you and then take it back. We haven't seen any sort of next steps. We haven't seen any enforcement out of it. We haven't seen any clients come to us and say, boy, they really asked a lot of questions around this. I'm nervous. We just haven't seen any of that yet. I completely agree. At least I haven't seen any of our clients who've had that yet. And I also haven't heard or seen anything from the SEC. Now, look, it may be that the cases, remember, these things sometimes take years for cases, you know, knowing, talking to our colleagues who are formerly SEC enforcement folks. It is not like a very quick process from an exam necessarily to a full enforcement action to a settlement or a trial that becomes a public public item for people to review and understand. I think we're still too early in terms of where this comes out. I still think if I was betting on what, what I would see as the first one, I think the first thing we would see is a claim around failure to have appropriate policies, procedures in place to prevent violations of the Advisors Act of 20647. Because this is new and, and the utilization of the data is relatively new for the industry. I mean, it's, it's now years old, but still the growth of it's been explosive in the last 24 months to 36 months. You know, people haven't really refined all their policies and procedures around their use of data. Some are much further along and some are much further behind in terms of, you know, I think the broader industry. But with that in mind, that's where you're going to see the SC come after people, in my view, is, hey, you didn't have good controls in place, essentially, for, for ingesting this stuff making sure you're following up on it, making sure that there's ongoing monitoring compliance of the data vendors and the data sets. And that's, it's just low hanging fruit rather than an insider trading case, which is just significantly harder to prove in the context of data. There's actually a question that's come in on that topic. Are the SEC asking questions or is it a threat only at the moment? The SEC generally doesn't threaten. They come out with a risk alert and says, these are things that we're concerned about. Data was one of them, you know, and exam priorities and their exam priorities, all data was also something that they covered. It wasn't the only thing they covered, but it's something that they they mentioned. And then they go in their exam. Two to three years ago, it was learning, what is this alternative data stuff? Now it's like, okay, what are you doing in terms of your compliance policies and procedures? And are you doing all the right things that we would expect you to do? You know, we could have one of those things come out that they did around cyber and says, look, we think this is best practices around alternative data. That wouldn't be something that surprises me but we have not seen that yet. And look, the new administration is relatively new still. So remember, we end up with shifting priorities whenever you have a new administration and a new chairman. So I think, you know, maybe the second half of the year, we see something in Q3 or Q4. I think Ben's right. The first thing isn't going to be an insider trading case, unless of course, there's just some egregious set of facts. Ben's right. The first thing is going to be deficiencies around Advisors Act, compliance policies and procedures designed to satisfy the act type deficiencies and maybe enforcement. I guess what I'm saying is, and maybe Ben, I think Ben agrees. I'm just surprised we haven't seen it yet. 
because we know they've now been poking around data for a while and it just doesn't seem like it's escalated at all from OC or exams now. It just doesn't seem like it's escalated at all, at least not that we've heard yet. My suspicion is that I think the biggest firms out there that you that, that consume the data are hiring, not necessarily Lowenstein, but law firms like Lowenstein, and have been spending not just this year, but prior to this year, time, money, and resources to get their compliance program really, really up to speed and doing mock exams and having out, you know, law firms review their process, involving law firms in that process if necessary, or compliance consultant who's you know versed in this stuff. They're ramping up and have been for some time in anticipation of this. My guess is it's going to be some kind of mid-sized or smaller firm that has kind of didn't have the resources, got heavily involved in data, and didn't really have good process in place. That's, that's where we're going to see a case if I was speculating on that one too. Yeah, I agree with that. Look, people have been, we've been talking about this for so long, and it's not just us, right? A handful of law firms who do a lot of this work, as Ben says, and do it really well. We've been talking about this for so long. The big folks, the big players have policies and procedures in place, right? Running to, to the point to we've had two Sigma on, we've had Dates and Kempner on, and everyone has different tailored policies and procedures. And we, we do harp on the importance of making sure policies and procedures are in fact tailored. But folks have put in place really good policies and procedures. And so on some level, it's not surprising, but I'm sure there are some smaller, medium-sized managers out there for whom it's still closer to the wild west than it is to really sound policies and procedures. I, I guess I'm just a little bit surprised we haven't seen them make an example of anyone yet. But I do think that has to be coming, you know, predictively speculate, I don't in the next 12 months, I'll be surprised if we have a call a year from now, and we haven't seen it yet, or at least anecdotally heard about it, even if it's not public. Yeah, and I think, you know, our own experience in Legal Alpha from when we come to speak new to firms, we see consistently that the legal compliance side is, is an area that has gotten a lot of attention. And it's in general, I can't think of any examples where we've We've seen funds that haven't a well-thought-out, well-structured legal compliance approach. I think the SEC might be disappointed. There could be a reason why they've been so slow to come out with any risk alert because the buy side does really seem to be ahead of the game on this on this point. And maybe that's you, Peter, and Ben. You've been educating the market and getting them up to speed and getting keeping them ahead of the game. Yeah, look, I also think it's a product of the data vendors, and as we've talked about in the past, are getting smarter as to the purchasers of their data. And they themselves have sharpened their pencils a bit on understanding the compliance controls that they need to have in place and yeah. the contract provisions that they need to get their investment side clients comfortable with the purchasing of their product. You know, whereas maybe a couple of years ago, the DDQ's responses weren't as good or they weren't responsive to the particular issues. I think a lot of the particular the, the vendors that are focusing, or at least have a product line focused on investment firms have really gotten smart about it. That being said, just to give a quick, you know, what I've been seeing lately is there are, the market's still evolving. There's still more data out there to be consumed from all different sources. And I have actually seen some vendors lately who are mostly selling to industry, not to investment firms. And they may not have really great controls in place. And their response to kind of the buy side is like, look, you know, we're not really changing. You either got to get comfortable with what we want to do because, you know, we're not going to reinvent our whole entire process when 99% of our business is geared towards operating companies or vendors that are not investment firms working with those companies. So that's been kind of interesting development. I had a, a few of them recently where they've just been, they just don't care. And, and yeah, they'll rep to you whatever they want you to rep, but their diligence, they don't have good compliance processes in place. 
You know, they not, they aren't want to tell you when they're talking to public companies that they have standard scripted health warning that's tracked, things of that nature. And they're unapologetic about it. So we're seeing people who understand the issues and they're just saying, look, it's not enough of a business case for us to sell this data all across these rounds. The importance of the data vendor side actually is a really interesting point to make because uh, Gloria Liu, um, who, who spoke from Davidson Kempner on our April workshop, she talked about the vendors and how vendors have been in the market a long time, are very sophisticated, come ready with all the right documentation in place, and actually how they're educating the buy side on some of the more technical aspects around anonymization of data. Um, so it is a really good point of the importance of the vendor side, but she did also highlight how vendors who are new new to market sometimes are almost insulted by the level of due diligence that and the questions that are asked by the legal and the compliance teams. It is a great point. Look, that means we're doing our job, right? That means our clients are doing what they're supposed to do. Right. It's an overwhelming process. I mean, the other thing I, I'd say I've been getting a bunch of queries on in the web scraping realm is outside the United States. I think the market, while the Supreme Court has yet to decide on certiori on the LinkedIn case, which is a bit unusual because they have had a lot of cases that they're working on, but there has been a lot, been getting a lot of queries from investors who may trade outside the United States and may be looking to engage in web scraping projects outside the United States, and from a, but they're investing, they're doing work inside the United States. So we're always constantly kind of looking at having to work with local counsel and say, well, okay, in the US, our view generally is that if there's a website that anybody can access with a computer and browser and internet connection, we generally have the view that that's public information. What's your view? And is that the same view in Indonesia or Brazil or Japan? What we found through our work so far is generally, yes, those markets take the same view. China, as we know from our prior webinar, is always a little bit trickier. And so, of course, the, the, the advice from our webinars we've done prior is you can't just go into China and assume everything that any internet sites, even if it's public, should be scraped because there's, you know, they have different rules and regulations about a national security concerns. So, but I would say the, the, the consensus view on an international level in most developed markets is the internet's still a public domain. So web scraping from a U.S. perspective of insider trading is still pretty safe ground. Peter, that's actually a point that came up in our conversation with Jake Green from Ashurst last month. And it did seem as if in, in the UK and, and Europe more broadly, yeah. they're looking to the US for guidance on web scraping best practice. Because Jake actually, he mentioned the IQ case. It does seem that maybe that's a broader sense around alternative. Yeah, data, yeah. So we spoke with the Ashurst US. folks last month, as you say, and those Ashurst folks. I agree. They thought the FCA is behind us in terms of its routine examination of this issue that the SEC is ahead of the UK and the FCA on that point. And then also, I agree, Ronan, on scraping. They really are looking to us. The world, other parts of the world are looking to us to figure out best practices. And I think we've all settled on what, for example, not to beat a dead horse on web scraping, but we've all settled on what those best practices are. And now it's just a question of will some court, the Supreme Court, we hope, or other lower courts of consequence come out and say, hey, yeah, we agree with what you all have been doing. That's right. And we just don't know the answer to that yet. We're waiting. And, you know, watchful waiting. Look, I think the other thing that people get hung up on the web scraping area, and not hung up, that's maybe a too strong word, hung up, but is, is are the non-inside trading issues. And, there, and those will vary, I think, perhaps from country to country over time. Interference with websites, copyright laws, computer security issues. I mean, those are going to be other claims that could get made. But I think on the public versus private nature of the internet, and when you're talking about material non-public information, if the internet is... If you're worried about you know the general existential risk to an investment firm for insider trading claims, I think we 
pretty feel still feel pretty confident that the, the, the internet as a broad matter is public. But interestingly, Peter, in the conversation with uh, Gloria Liu from Davidson Kempner, she actually highlighted WebScript data as, as an area where they are a little more cautious on. And she was focused, as I recall, particularly on commercial litigation as opposed to the privacy considerations. Yeah, that's right, Ronan. Yeah, when we talked to her, she definitely raised that issue. Yeah, like I think that somewhat depends on a firm-by-firm basis and the level of scraping activity in which you're engaged. Because if you really are pinging websites over and over and over again, there is some, there's a definitely heightened risk of interfering with a website. But so far, what we have seen anecdotally, whenever there's been web scraping issues, is the first thing you get is kind of a letter saying, stop scraping our website, or we're going to sue you, not the lawsuit. And once you get that letter, then the scraping usually will cease, or at least dramatically, you know, go down in volume. That was interesting that she said that many of our clients that we speak with, I don't think have as much concern about the lawsuits as Gloria may have had, you know, at Davidson. I don't know, Peter, if you have a different view on that. No, so I confess, Ben, you'll be surprised. I didn't pull up your Davidson Kempner interview roundtable. I apologize for that. So this is all new to me. But yeah, that's a little surprising to hear that. It's a little surprising to hear that. Because I I feel like when we talk to clients about scraping, username and password is the line and clients large and small, 50 billion down to 500 million, all behave the same way. I'm just shocked, Peter, that you don't listen to it. I know, Ben, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) it's, It's such an admission. We've had a question come in, coming back to the topic of app data. So do you feel that app panels may charge a premium for Apple users' data versus Android users' data, given that buyers would likely have more comfort knowing that Apple policies are more stringent and more likely to have an opted-in user base? I think the difference is, the distinction, Ben, is going to go away pretty darn quickly. So no, would be my answer to that, because I think Google's going to catch up right quickly. I mean, I guess I would probably ask that question to you, Ronan. I mean, you guys are, are typically brokering data, I mean, and, and, you know, sales. I mean, what would you think is going to be that? Yeah, it's something I'm afraid of misspeaking, but my sense is that there already is a premium for Apple data over <laughs> Android data, given the perception that they're higher quality apps and it's, it's more protected ecosystem and that there may be some of the data that's been collected by Android apps isn't as reliable. But... Don't quote me on that. I'll have to go back to the team and ask them. But I, I, w- I certainly w- wouldn't be surprised, even before they stopped in, that there would be a premium or certainly a perception that the Apple data is higher quality than Android data. You're saying you felt that way historically? Yes. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's not specifically related to 14.5 and the opt-in panel. My sense is just in general, historically, that has been the case. That's utility of the data. I just think Google's going to catch up Apple pretty quickly on this. They're going to be the same. Not identical, but close enough. Ben, I don't know if you agree. Yeah, they're just going to be pressured. Like, this is just traditional market forces. Not, nothing to do with, with legal. I mean, and I think it's not featured by the data world, but it's just dreamed by the consumer of, hey, you know, I can buy an Apple phone and they're going to not disclose all my information. Oh, but these guys at Google are going to want to sell my data and I'm not getting any benefit from that. So... They'll just be market forces will drive us to this privacy issue and this prominence of disclosure issue that, you know, and we're all seeing it tied together, right? If we look back, I don't remember exactly the time when the senator sent that FTC letter, it was about prominence, right, of disclosure. So the market's just reacting in an expected manner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's reacting in a good way. It's probably an unfair question. Yeah, it is more, I think, around it's a commercial question as opposed to legal. My third topic was just volume. 
So what I'm, Ben and I send emails. We have sort of a working group internally of folks, Ben, me, a few others who work on data agreements. And I don't know, Ben, once, twice a week, we'll send an email saying, hey, a client will ask about a vendor one of us hasn't heard of. And we'll say, hey, anyone else seen this vendor? Most of the time, much of the time we've seen it already, but some of the time we haven't, you know, I sent one yesterday and, and no one had seen it yet. The question is, what is just so interesting to me, and Ben sees a lot of this too, and we see it with different clients. We're just seeing clients, I feel like of all sizes and shapes are starting to use data on some level. Even clients who manage half a billion dollars, who've never bought a data set before, they're starting to dip their toe in the data water. It's not just the big players. And then with the big players, gosh, they're just consuming everything they can. Ben, am I right? Yeah, I mean, the general theme, especially with let's call it a 10 plus billion dollar firm, they only not only want to know, use the data for their own investment process, they want to know what everybody else may be using. <laughs> so they may just buying data simply to know what is out there, right? And then what others are using and to make sure that they're not missing anything. I look, I think the overall process has just gotten a little bit longer maybe in the onboarding as people dive more and more into this stuff. And in a natural evolution, we've got people just gotten smarter on issues and types of data sets that are available and that kind of the risks posed by those data sets, there's just a more, just a much more spin level, higher level sophistication yeah. from the data consumer. Yeah. Look, we've got some clients who are just so sophisticated in how they evaluate from a business case standpoint and how they diligence and onboard that data on how long the process takes. What we've seen lately is the value I think the outside lawyer can add is if we've done a deal with such and with XYZ vendor three times in the last six months, pretty quick to get there for the next client, right? We know the vendor will agree to what they won't agree to. And we can send that markup to the client and say, hey, this is without, of course, naming prior client names. This is what we've been able to achieve for others. This is where we can get, are you comfortable? If you are, here's the markup, let's send it back and get it done. In some sense, it can take longer, but in some sense, if we've done it three times, it can move much more quickly. Yeah, I would say the other thing, a couple of points to add to that. One, you just, you have to be careful as a user that you're getting each data set's getting evaluated distinctly. So there may be a data vendor that's, so, you know, you initially start out with one data set or two data sets, but then they have other data sets that may be purchased. And it's really important that those get evaluated. And to the extent there's any specific things that you would want excluded from those data sets or specific terms that, or representations that you require in connection there with, that is something to be very carefully considered. And you don't just want it because you've approved a vendor for one data set, just blanket approve a vendor for every data set they may, they may have. And then getting in that same vein, making sure that you understand each of those data sets individually, because they can vary significantly from one data set to another, even within a particular vendor. And that's something we've seen. And that's, that's also a nice time, as we talked about a process, and again, not to belabor the issue or beat this horse to death that we've talked about process, but when you have, you have those data sets coming online, if that's a really good time, oftentimes to do the re-underwriting and show that you have re-diligence that vendor or not. <laughs> Done a rubber stamp on them every year. Interesting. So the, the volume, it's really interesting observation. Um, is your sense just that there's more going on? There's just more, more data being acquired? Or is it, do you think maybe it's a reflection of complexity that there's more queries coming to you? The type of data that's coming to market now is, is more nuanced or niche than the data that funds were looking at 12 months ago? Or all the what above. do you think is the driver? All the above. Yeah. Really all the above. I, I think everything you just said is accurate. I think there's still some people using data as a very basic tool, just kind of staying on top of the market, credit card panels. 
app data, those kind of things. And they're just making sure that as a part of their overall process, they're using it. But I think on the whole, the level of detail, sophistication, and nuance, what data that's required, how the data is being used, how many data vendors there are that are, that are entering the marketplace or available to the buy side, it's, yeah, it's just ramped up geometrically. Excellent. Okay, very good. There are no other questions. I might give 30 seconds for any other questions that might come in. Peter, Ben, was there anything else on your mind? Anything that's been topical over the last no. quarter? Those are the three things I thought would be useful. 14.5 is certainly an issue to discuss. And at the end of the next quarter, we'll revisit it for sure and, and see where we are. But I think we're good on time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we will be happy to share our findings of our research on that topic as well. I don't see any more questions. Um, so Peter, Ben, we, we might wrap it there. A really interesting conversation as ever. Thank you very much for joining us and for sharing your massive intellect with us today. Thanks, Ronan. Thanks, Ronan. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha's solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.